Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a Smooth Soul Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. And actually, the uh, music fits the mood outside, actually. A little overcast. Yeah, that's rain earlier. Uh, my man Patrick always DJing. Great job DJing. A Smooth Soul Monday uh, in, intended to soothe the tortured soul of sports fans who may have had a tough weekend. Uh, Alright, we'll get to, speaking of tough weekends, we'll get to uh, reviewing the NBA playoffs. The Celtics with a Game 7 win and the 76ers, yeah, they're one of those teams having that tough weekend. So if you're a 76ers fan, man, Patrick's trying to soothe your tortured soul. We'll hear from Joel Embiid, speaking of the tortured soul. We'll hear from him. Um, disappointing performance by Joel Embiid in the loss for the 76ers. We'll also discuss Monty Williams, because uh, he was fired. Uh, the Suns decided to make a move uh, uh, to move on from Monty Williams because of their under uh, underwhelming performance in the playoffs this year. Hey, man, somebody's got to be a scapegoat. And it seems more and more, Patrick, in the NBA that, you know, the coach is more than likely most of the time is going to be the scapegoat. Yeah. And, you know, because you can't get rid of the superstars, superstars, superstars. Yeah. They are, I mean, in the NBA, that's how you win championships. And you don't you don't sell merchandise. You don't sell jerseys. You don't put butts in seats. And you don't win games and win championships without superstars. So they're like the quarterbacks in the NFL. They're way more valuable than a head coach, even if he's a good head coach. Or, yeah, sometimes even a great one. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they. It, it, it makes sense financially. It makes sense in some ways. Monty Williams, I like this for me is an owner coming in and doing everything wrong to try and fix a problem. Like, like, you know, if you if you walk into a house and you're a new homeowner and you're like, oh, the toilet's running. And by the end of the day, there's no more toilet. But you don't you now you don't have anything. There's just <laughs> running water in a house because you thought you could fix it. That's kind of what I feel like he is starting to go down that path of like, well, the toilet seat's caught clearly the problem. You're like, well, that's not why it's running. The toilet seat, like, get rid of the toilet seat, get rid of it. Like, he's just doing things to do things. And he, he came in and made the Kevin Durant trade. And you can do that, but he really leveraged the future to go and win it all this year and then didn't do anything else to try and make himself win it all this year. Didn't really play heavy in the buyout market. Didn't play heavy. Didn't try and fix the holes that you created by trading away a Cam Johnson and a Mikhail Bridges, you made no effort to fix that. You just said, no, we just we were a piece away. Kevin Durant's worth three really good players. And he went, no, he's not. It was a savior. No, no, one, no one is three good. Like it, They had the savior complex with him. They assumed yeah. KD will be the savior. He'll fix all these problems. But that's always, He'll again, turn water into wine. If you are one <laughs> player away and you trade two players to get one more player, you are not one player. Like You didn't fix that one player because now you've opened up another problem. Um, unless you believe he's the savior. 
Like I said, that's a, it's a savior yeah. complex where you believe he's going to walk on water and turn and turn water into wine. It, he's not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, there's maybe <laughs> one guy who you could say might be able to do that would have been Jokic. That he is just shown to be that guy. That and LeBron played with. in his prime did was that. Yeah, seen but that LeBron in his prime still needed other players. Yeah, you do. No, uh, Jokic well, he got other players. He's got Devin Booker there. He's got some other yeah, players, but, but it's not like, enough. Jokic is the only guy that has shown that he's done it with guys that no one else thought were going to do anything. And they've no, they've turned into much better players this season, which is why we're seeing the impact. But we, we he makes this trade, and then Monty Williams is basically fired as blame for Matt Ishbia pushing through a trade for Kevin Durant. That's why because they didn't have depth, they were tired. They were not able to get, make it through to the next round. But that's because the team wasn't a whole team. Plus, he has two guys get hurt in the series, and somehow that's all Monty Williams' fault. We're moving on. And now the rumor is that he is trying to – he is working to try and push pursue Tyron Lue, who is the Clippers head coach, which means not only are you going to have to give him a lot more, you're going to have to give him more money than he's making from Steve Ballmer, who's paying him very well, and you're going to have to give compensation to the Clippers to get him for a coach that – Ty Lue's a good coach. Monty Williams is a good coach. I don't think you're – it's not put you any closer to a title to make this switch. I, I think it's more symptomatic of the culture of the NBA, and I agree with everything you said about the Suns, no question. That is definitely what's going, with, going on with Monty Williams. He's just being scapegoated for the boss's mistakes, by the way. Happens at your job, too. Yep. <laughs> um, and that's the boss can do that. Hey, got the big bucks. You know what I mean? You can do that. That's the golden rule. The man or woman with the gold, they make the rules. Uh, but it is symptomatic of a bigger issue going on in the NBA where essentially coaches are just seen as, at least from the perception of it, they're simply like treated as caretakers. And they're, they're perceived as just being caretakers along for the ride. Um, and they're definitely being scapegoated if there are problems with the chemistry of the team or if the management or executives making bad decisions. You go look at it. Money Williams now being fired. He's a two-time coach of the year. So he won coach of the year twice in four years and went to an NBA Finals. Not enough to get you job security in the NBA. Um, uh, so now both coaches from the 2021 NBA Finals have been fired. As the first time two NBA head coaches were fired within two years of a Finals appearance, both of them. Yeah, uh, that has never happened. And now three of the last four NBA championship head coaches has also been fired. That goes back to Vogel, Nick Nurse, and Boonholzer. And uh, you go throw uh, if you throw Ime Udoka in there and Monty Williams now. Every base you go look at it. Every coach who's been to the finals since 2018, except for Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra, have been fired. And this is and this <laughs> this goes to two, show you two things. Right? So it's 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 the Suns are another example, of, but it's a, it's a bigger issue. And it seems like a mo- the the easy answer seems to be let's just change coaches. And but it'll also show you what teams are consistently competing, what teams are consistently getting there. And you can go, it's great coaches. It's also consistency in your organization mm-hmm. and having a better culture in your organization than an owner who goes, hey, man, if you miss a few shots, you're probably out. Hey, man, I don't, I'm, I'm the crazy one who's going to walk in the locker room and try and give you a pep talk even though I've never been close to in your shoes. I'm the one who's going to try and associate and be, and I'll fix everything. They go, you can't fix everything. So stop pretending that you can. Sometimes it's nice to have a good culture and going forward. And look, he may be able to help out. But when you look at how much they gave up to get Kevin Durant, how much it appears that they really don't have many options. You have Chris Paul on a contract that is going to be harder. You're going to have to give up something else to get rid of Chris Paul's contract at this point. And then DeAndre Ayton, who's a good player, 
but it that's probably your only piece you can move to try and make any moves. That's your that's your one guy of value right now. That's day one. Yeah. You have no bench players that have any real trade value. You have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, who are your pieces. You can't move Kevin Durant again because if you move Kevin Durant again, then why'd you tra- give up everything to get him? So you have to now trade DeAndre Ayton and possibly put Chris Paul in there to try and get some terrible contracts back to get another player in and then hope that you can find some guys for less for really cheap and find some veterans. But you're also a couple years away from this completely exploding and that Devin Booker decides, you know what, I hate this place. I'm going to go try and win somewhere. Kevin Durant does what he does and decides he's not happy where he's at. And now he's on the first year of a four-year contract, so he's kind of stuck unless he demands a trade. But also if Devin Booker says he wants to get out, then that changes everything. This could really blow up that he bought a team and in one season to try and win it completely destroys any future it ever had because he's got to fix everything right now instead of going to basketball people to make basketball decisions. Yeah, and if he, yeah, it's, it's just weird because uh, firing Monty Williams and then making a move, if it is someone like Tyler, would be more of a, a lateral move if that. And it's, yeah, this, this NBA's this head coaching swap, Mosmer, that show Wife Swap, where they're just, just switching coaches. And it's, for, I think, for the sake of trying to spark chemistry, not necessarily upgrading at the coaching spot. But yeah, the NBA's, being an NBA coach right now is just really tough. There's no way to really guarantee guarantee yourself job security uh even winning doesn't necessarily guarantee job security accolades don't three of the last five coach of the year winners have also lost their jobs three of the past four head coaches to win a title have also lost their jobs so it does it seems like if you got to make sure the stars are happy that's your number one objective and priority as a head coach and that could hell, man. We know that's un, that's that's tenuous. That could change at any time. Well, but that's also that's <laughs> and that's like that's, that's one of yeah. Doc Rivers' best qualities is that he keeps the stars happy, and we see what that does. And that that also so, that leads to complacency, which is yes. what the issue the Seventy Sixers are having right now. And, and so, we see yeah. what what Tyron Lue has done keeping his stars happy in in L.A. It's just which a, is they're yeah. happy, they don't play. That's what I think. I think it's just a, I don't even know if there's a way to fix it with the NBA culture because it is the star driven league. They are the ones who make the moves. There, there, there is the ones who, there is yeah. which is you build a culture that when you get young star players, you try to teach them the right way to act as a player. And if you don't have those guys, you try and move around. You make sure to not get a lot of guys like a Dylan Brooks or somebody else who's going to try and come in and big dog a room. You go, hey, everybody's got to find their spots, and we're going to put people in here, and we're going to build a culture of winning. And like Miami, you just build in guys that you go, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to get a star player like Jimmy Butler in Miami who is about winning above all else. Like but, he but, wants but, but, to- but, but, Jimmy Butler was not a culture guy, though. He's not, I know what you're saying. So it, it's my point is it's really tough. It's but not, he is he is a culture it, that fits Miami's I know, but culture. It's much, but you also got a Pat Riley above him yeah. and exposure. So you got checks and balances at every yeah. level. I think the point is it's just really tough. It's it is very really, tough. Yeah, you yeah, got, yeah. There's a Rodney Dangerfield element to NBA head coaches where you get no respect. Oh yeah. You just, even Eric Spolstra at first he got no respect. Now we're saying Eric Spolstra is a damn good coach, top three coach in the league. When he had LeBron there, no respect. Everybody treated him like a glorified cheerleader. Yeah, he was like, "Oh no, nah, man, he's dating it." I think he was dating a cheerleader or something like that. Anyway, uh, but either way, it's it's just really you, you just it's really tough perception wise to get job security as a head coach in the NBA. There are a few guys that can do it, Steve Kerr and Pop. But you're talking about guys who are winning. Mo- basically, multiple championships will guarantee you job security in the NBA. I, Mo- not even just- multiple championships with that team. But as soon as you start losing, 
Yeah. You're out. And I, I don't think Golden State, I think if they blow up this team, Steve Kerr's probably got a two-year window to win it, like to get back to a finals. That's crazy. Before they'll be like, no, Steve Kerr, sorry. You lost it, buddy. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> it's you. Uh, well, that's what people are saying right now to Joel and B. They're saying, it's you. Uh, can we have this Joel and B sound? Because this is the audio that people are referencing uh, in their criticism, Joel and B. Well, his criticism, I think, is coming from his performance. He was 5 of 18 uh, in Game 7. 0 of 7 from outside the paint. 0 for from outside the paint for 15 points. Uh, he and James Harden, very disappointing performance. Nine points for James Harden. He was 3 of 11. Here's Joel Embiid in the postgame uh, giving his thoughts. Uh, we got the chance to win, but, you know, it's going to take, you know, more than us. Uh, we all got to look at ourselves. Uh, I, I got to be better, and I will be better. Uh, that's what I'm focused on. Um, you know, all of us, uh, we got to, you know, come back and uh, find ways uh, to just keep improving and, you know, help the team. Uh, you can't win alone. Uh, I can't win alone. I can't. Me and James, we just can't win alone. You know, that's why basketball is played 5-on-5. Five five. So, you know, we just need everybody to just, you know, try to keep finding ways to get better and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. All right. Um, I, I'll tell you my issue with it, and I, I'm not as uh, critical as some have been um, in calling him out about those post-game comments. I think when you are a superstar, and he is, he's an MVP, when you're a superstar, it's pretty simple. And you should tell, if you're a coach, just tell all your superstars this. When we win, it's we. All right? And when we lose, it's me. So when you're on the post game, on the podium, when we lose, take, take it all. Just take the burden. Say, it's on me. I got to be better. I got to be a better leader. I got to get my guys motivated. It, I'm the leader of the team. I got to play better. It's on me. And when you lose, just say, hey, man, we played great. Uh, we, 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 we. And I wonder, I haven't watched enough post games, I'll admit, of Joel and Beat, so I don't know. I want to know when they lose, is he, at, is he a we guy or a me guy? Because if they lose and they lose and he's a we guy when they lose and a me guy when they win, that's a problem. That's a problem. As a superstar, you got to be all about we when you win, me when you lose. Be selfish when you lose. Yep. Say, now nah, it's about me, man. I got to be better. I mean, I'm, the, I'm a star. I, I, I was blessed with a ton of talent. I got to be better. Jason Tatum <laughs> in game seven in the fourth quarter. You got to be better. I'm sure somebody told him. You say you demand. You say you, you, know, you want to be a superstar. You're all NBA to put the team on your shoulders. Will this team to victory? If you're great, if you're indeed that uh, much of a superstar, you're that ilk, you can do that. Uh, that's what's asked of great superstars in the playoffs. So I think for Joel Embiid, that's the mistake he made, Patrick. He was in that postgame. He was a, a wee guy when they lost. Can't be a wee guy when you lose if you're a superstar. No. You don't get that luxury. Not when you won MVP this year. Yeah, exactly. Not when you campaigned for MVP for the last three seasons. And not when you sucked in the playoffs. When you sucked in Game 7, just never, never made a run. And I get that you was you when you, that blowout happened, it happened. And it was going to be almost oh. impossible to come back when they when they went on that run, third quarter. That third quarter, you, you're not that fourth quarter. I get it. Yeah, that, it's one. not like you're going to put up numbers, but you can't come out and then during that run not get angry. Like you should have gotten two fouls there, or got like at some point you have to, as a leader of this team, take control and get angry. There's there's videos and highlights from that game when you watch it, where Jason Tatum's hitting shots over him and he just got a handout. 
Jason Tatum sinks a three, and then he just goes, no. Nah. Well, I guess he's having a good game. I'll get him next time. Down, and you're like, <laughs> you can't have that attitude in a game seven. <laughs> like, in a game seven to be just, oh, well, that's that goes, okay, well, I don't think you're ever going to win a championship if you're the best player. And that's the problem is you can't tell me you want to be MVP and not want to be the, not want to, ha- like, you have to be the best player in every game. You have to be the best player every game. Mm-hmm. I agree. And he's got to relish that moment, too. He's got to want it. It's obvious that Jason Tatum wanted it, even when he wasn't playing well. Even when he was playing like yeah. he felt like garbage in Game Six for most of the game. I want to say, what did he miss? His first, he missed his first, he missed fourteen of his first fifteen shots in Game Six in the fourth quarter. Decided, no, this is my moment. Yeah, it's still my moment, even though I've not played, I'm not worthy of the moment right now. It's still my moment. Yeah, and I'm with that. Jolene B needs to be, he needs to put the team on his shoulders, and uh, we did not see them. You want to see that dog? We talk about that dog mentality. Dog mentality in a loss, it was on me. No, and I mean we saw so Steph Curry in the the game, the oh, game Lakers, seven, or not, but this game, the, oh, the okay. game on Friday. Steph Curry in the fourth quarter was the one who was trying to put up shots. He was the one who said, look, no one else is hitting anything. I'm putting this on me. I'm going to try and go superstar mode. It didn't work, but I'll give him credit that he went out and said, look, I get it. No one else is hitting shots. No one else is doing anything. I'm going to try and put everything on my shoulders. Whether it works or it doesn't, he put it on his shoulders and said, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm going to try and take over. And we just never saw that with Embiid. Mm-hmm. We never saw him really impose that he is a seven-footer with a big frame and going inside and go, look, I'm going to make them foul me every single play or I'm going to foul them, but there's going to be contact on every single play and I'm dunking this ball every time and I'm getting as close as I can to this bucket. And until the refs tell me, until they throw me out of this game, I'm going down fighting. Yeah, he did we, not go down fighting. We saw, <laughs> hey, man, they're, they're getting kind of bumpy in there. We're starting to get down. I'll shoot some threes. That'll get us back in the game. You went out with a whimper. Yeah. And you're supposed to and go then, out. <laughs> and then and the post game said we. And then your we turned into you and James. Yeah, I noticed that. He did say me and James. Like, James had nine points. He was three Tyrese right. Maxey had a better <laughs> series than James Harden. Yes, through he and did. through. Yeah. Like, that's the future. Like, that's a guy you should be like, man, look at what Maxey did. He was somebody who was really trying to push for us this series. And, man, if he gets better and then we can – and then I can step up in that – but that's not what you did. He you threw his- Maxi under the bus like, man, if that guy wanted to play basketball with us, he needs to put up 75 so we can win a title. <laughs> he considers him and James to be, you know, former MVP, MVP, yeah. you know. But I'm with you at this time. James is – I don't know if he's a true number two to Joel Embiid on that team. I don't know if he can do that night in and night out. Well, he can do it occasionally. But, and then to put yourself of like, no, no, the way our team is built – it is me and James have our own locker room. We are the leaders. You can you can come hang out with us, but the rest of you guys are scrubs who need to be better. And he was two. They were two and zero without Joel and being the playoffs. Like that, just that attitude mm. of it's just a really bad attitude. It was, and it's one of those things. Of that's where if you see Doc Rivers not being there, you can go okay. I understand that as a organization saying, well, something's been cultivated here that we never thought was going to be cultivated in that. We have a we now have a superstar who doesn't want to be a totally accountable. Yeah, and we have a superstar it. who thinks that he can say the rest of the guys. Yeah. and talk down to the rest of these players like that's not how, that's we're never going to win with this. And Doc Rivers, let's get to it real quick. Uh, Doc Rivers last um, five game sevens, he's taken L's. 
that he's coached in. Uh, he also now 6-10 and ten record in Game 7. Those 10 losses in Game 7s are the most by any coach in NBA history. 17-33 and 33 all time in series clinching situations to close out a series. Those 33 losses are the most in NBA history for any coach in a uh, series clinching situation or coaching in uh, closeout situations. Also most blown series leads <laughs> in NBA history. So it would seem... Um, and I, I bring this up all the time. Once is an outlier. Twice is a coincidence. Three times is a bit of a pattern. Four times is a trend. Five times, that's character. That's who you are. That's who you are. Yeah. And this is who Doc Rivers is. So are they going to make a move from Doc Rivers? We see we did. Monty Williams didn't deserve to be fired, but hey, man. I, but I mean, now, now you're deserving. saying now Mike Budenheiser's on the market. <laughs> uh, Monty Williams is on the market. Hey, so you have some other guys. But I, that that's a question is who wants to go now too? Where you're like, well, I need to go meet with Embiid with Embiid beforehand, talk to him and see what kind of mindset this superstar has. Because if he's got the wrong mindset, I'll be fired in two years anyway. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> want to walk in where I got to babysit this guy and then go to the rest of the team where they're. And by the way, every one of our good players when they get good is gone. Like the difference is you have in L.A. Austin Reeves is like LeBron's been there for me. He's helped me out. I want to play with LeBron. But if Tyrese Maxey's contract comes up and all these other guys' contract come up and they go, dude, he don't want to hang out. He thinks we suck. That's a great point. Why am I here? They're offering me money somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else and I'll go play. But I'll say this before. I, I think it's there's a big question that's coming up in player options. Draymond Green has like a $28 million player option in Golden State. Yeah, that's a big one. Does, and he wants more. He wants more money. But Yeah. So does he – Say no and make them negotiate a longer-term deal for him? Does he go somewhere else and get a longer-term deal? Because, again, he may not make 28 next season, but he also understands if I can make six, or make 100 over the next four seasons or whatever else, that's less money in one season, but I've got it over yeah. four, and it's yeah. the NBA, so it's, I'm going to get that money. You'll get it. It's guaranteed, baby. Yeah, so, <laughs> so even though I'm making 25 next year instead of 28, but it's, I get four for 25, then, I'm yeah, then I'll take that all day because that's guaranteed $108 mm-hmm. million. Dollars. So I think there that one's a question. And James Harden, I think, is in that same boat. You know, I, I had a decent enough season this year. People thought I did some things. Do I want to take a player option and not have a long-term deal and bet on myself oh. again? Or do I want that long-term money I where think, I can really coast it in? And I, let me see I, I if I go down to Houston. I oh, think he's past that age. I think he should go down to Houston. They should sign him to a five-year Supermax <laughs> contract. And you want an entire rocket. No, I would no, but I want him to give all the money to him and ruin their oh, team. You I would. just want yeah, to yeah, ruin yeah, their yeah. team. Yeah, I said he retired. I said he would retire rocket then yeah, gladly. A couple seasons after he gets a five-year but deal. I'm with you. I don't think he should bail on himself at this point. He's too inconsistent to so, bail on himself. But he's making like he's got a thirty-something million dollar option. Player option. So it's a lot of money to not take. But at the same point, it's guaranteed money. So the difference is. 35 next year, do you jump down to 15 or 20 after that or after retire versus mm-hmm. do I get a four or five year deal that's guaranteed money and now that's 120 or uh, you know 100 million in the bank? It's just a lot more money overall that you're guaranteed. Man. And those long term deals, and I don't think Philadelphia or Golden State is going to blink on we're going to give you a contract extension before the player option. I know. I usually take them for show over some mo. 
That's usually how I used to operate. But hey, you talking about guaranteed money? Are you talking about former MVP, former saying. defensive player of the year? You, I can't, I can't talk about that. It's a different situation than mine. But uh, real quick, before we go to break here, and we'll get to the Jean Morant story in the uh, five forty-five segment. We'll talk about Jean Morant right after Raj. We have the day. Joel Embiid, averaging thirty-three points per game in the regular season, became the MVP. That number dropped to twenty-three point seven points per game in the playoffs. That is a nine point four uh, points per game difference fewer points per game difference. That's the largest difference uh, by that year's MVP in NBA history. That is a hell of a drop-off for Joel Embiid. To your point, Patrick, he ain't been really showing up the entire playoffs at all. All right, we come back. We asked a question last week about the NFL and the NFL's mission to try to expand the brand of the NFL internationally. One of the great sports mysteries. Why can't the the number one television show in America, America's top TV product, which is the NFL, 85 of the top 100 watch shows are NFL programs. Why can't the NFL transition that product to become an international product? Why don't international sports fans like the NFL? Well, we couldn't figure that out, but I did find out Part of the NFL secret plan, candy cigarettes. I'll explain when we come back. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, one of four, not in the horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, oh you've done it now. It's time for Rod's oh. rant of the day. Hold on to your butt. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. We were talking last week about the NFL's schedule release and how the NFL is trying to have more of a presence internationally. Um, And I think the international games are in London and in Germany. And one of the big sports mysteries is, is why the most popular sport in America you know, the most popular television product in America has yet to catch on and become or replicate that popularity internationally. And there are a lot of reasons uh, why that hasn't happened. But I I was interested in the NFL's uh, mission to spread the game internationally. So I I talked to some folks and did some research on my own. And, you know, it's it it makes perfect sense, too. And I can't you know believe that I didn't see it because it was right there in front of me the whole time. Because the NFL wants to turn their league into, you know, a $20 billion league. And, hell, you know, domestic dollars can only get you so far. International dollars, international money, I oh mean, they'll hit $20, million, $20 billion, excuse me, in a couple of years if they can spread this product internationally and grow the brand. The problem is, you know, lately the NFL, uh, not lately, but the NFL's perception that it's a dangerous game, right? The concussion crisis, we've talked about that ad nauseum, um, and the NFL trying to convince moms, right, moms to let their sons play football. That's just been, and, and fewer moms are agreeing to let their sons play football. Uh, the Concussion Legacy Foundation um, when nurse study says 26, since 2016, tackle participation rates for children ages 6 through 12 has decreased by damn near 30%. And even high school tackle football participation has decreased by 12.2%. Not in Texas. <laughs> we know that. Uh, since 2008. So kids are playing less tackle football. And, mo- and, and the NFL's belief is that it's just moms. Moms, they're seeing the game at the highest levels, college and pro. And there's some of them deciding, nah. I'm not kidding, playing football. He's too small. I don't like it. Play something else. Play baseball. Play something else. Play soccer. Whatever it may be. So 
the NFL's got a kind of a two-pronged attack here because they do have to battle the perception of a dangerous game. And also, if they don't successfully battle that perception and don't change that narrative, they'll never grow the game internationally. Because you know, the moms that here domestically won't let their kids play, and moms internationally, they're not going to let their kids play either. All right. So I was talking to a friend of mine doing some research, and they didn't lead me to this conclusion. This is me. This is my theory. So I'm not going to say that the NFL is – no, this is my theory about what the NFL is doing. But I think I have some evidence to back it up. See, the NFL – and I said this when they had their Pro Bowl. Remember the Pro Bowl? That how they changed the Pro Bowl. They transformed the Pro Bowl into being basically – it's just uh, – playground contests and skills contests between players they're doing dodgeball you know punt passing kick competitions they're just playing playground games and a lot of the parents who watched the pro bowl were marking how their kids loved it because the same games they play field day at their elementary schools same game they get to get to see the best athletes in the world or their favorite football players playing these games really fun and i used to refer to it as the nfl's candy cigarette Remember candy cigarettes back in the day? Most of y'all too, maybe too young to remember. Y'all old people, y'all remember candy cigarettes. And it was literally cigarettes industries <laughs> that was their attempt to try to engage young smokers. <laughs> I'm not, it's other way to put it. Or at least to try to uh, get young people, all right, to get them in, indoctrinated, if you will, into the culture of smoking. They had candy cigarettes, and I loved them. They were actually pretty damn good back in the day. I used to have, I used to get like a little pack of candy cigarettes. This was a thing. Did you pack, <laughs> did you pack your, your huh? candy cigarettes? Oh, yeah. You got, I mean, I oh, first. yeah. You got man, the sugar's not going to be right if you don't do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But what, what was that? That was that was programming, right? Because yep. you see people with cigarettes, seen grown-ups. So you yep. knew how to pack a cigarette like a grown-up. Yep. You got to put it in your mouth when you talk like, like <laughs> uh, your grandpa would. And it was so kids could act out the fantasy of smoking. And we'd play cops and robbers. I have a cigarette in my mouth and everything like that. And I didn't think anything was wrong with it, but... I smoked cigarettes a little bit when I grew up, and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it didn't. But that was their way of being able to appeal to young kids and to get them to start the rituals, right, of smoking. And everybody who's been a smoker knows there are rituals to smoking. And this, the NFL's candy cigarette, meaning their way to approach the younger demographic, right? And that's what they did with all of those different skills competitions and the, like I said, the mostly the, there were skills contests and, you know, field games that you would play on the playground. NFL's taking the same approach. They, they believe it might fix the Pro Bowl or at least make the Pro Bowl watchable. They're taking the same approach to spreading the game internationally, I believe. And the candy cigarette is flag football. So think about this, because I've been doing some research on this flag football for the NFL. And Troy Vincent, these are comments from Troy Vincent, right? the, the former uh, NFL All-Pro cornerback and currently executive VP of football operations. He said the future of football is flag. Not meaning professional football, but all indicators suggest and data supports that flag football is the future of football. And what he meant by that is it is, it is destigmatized the game for them a little bit. Because girls are playing it. And they're, they're letting their little girls play football, but obviously boys are playing it too. The growth of flag football in recent years has been impressive. Flag football is played by more than 20 million people in more than 100 countries. Ha! Huh? They said, according to the NFL, since 2015, the number of 6 to 12-year-olds playing flag football in the U.S. has increased by 38% in 2022 
You had over half a million boys and girls participating in NFL flag, the youth flag football league sponsored by the NFL. 40% increase from the previous year. But it's the ladies that are driving it. Girls are driving the growth. In the U.S., half a million girls aged 6 to 17 play some form of organized flag football. Currently, seven states, including New York and California, has sanctioned high school girls flag football. And you may think to yourself, that's not going to save football, Rod. They're not, they're not going to let them play in the NFL. All right, I, I get that, genius. But they're going to grow up to be mothers who have a different relationship with the game than the mothers who are deciding to let their kids play now. Right? They're going to know the game more intimately. They played the game. They've got a different relationship with the game than all the moms who have grown up having to have distance from the game, basically being as close as they can be as a cheerleader. <laughs> That's their relationship with football. Instead of having to play it a little bit. And I actually met some of these uh, girls who played the game um, right here in Westlake. They got girls playing flag football. They said 18 schools. So you're talking about college-level schools now. 18 schools, the NAIA, the National Association for Intercollegiate Athletics, are playing and recruiting women to play flag football. And they said next up is the NCAA, which the NFL is already pushing to sanction flag football. They want it to go all the way up, all right, all the way up to the highest levels. At the international level, and here's the other key. So how you get, how, how, you know, long-term looking at, all right, you know what, we need to change women's relationship with the game. They just, they, they don't know, they're not, they're not in love with the game like the men are. We got to get them closer to the game. They got to fall in love with the game. How you make them fall in love with the game? You got to play the game. It's like, oh, women can't play the game. Yeah, they can. They can play flag football. At the international level, flag football is on pace to overtake tackle football. In Japan, half a million children per grade have a chance to play flag football every year. In Mexico, there are 100,000 new flag football players in 2021 alone. In China, 200,000 play flag football in schools. That's important because that is going to lead to them being able to play tackle football later on or at least desensitizing all right, the, uh, the bureaucracy, if you will, to the dangers of football with flag football. And it says here that international competition has grown. National team participation in the International Federation of American Football World Flag Football Championships grew by 61% in the men's competition, 73% in the women's competition. And I'm telling you, it, it's twofold. It's a two-pronged strategy. The future moms of America will have a different relationship with football than the current moms of America. They'll look at the game differently. Who knows if they'll decide to let their kids play or not, but it's worth the try. And the other strategy is with flag football, internationally, it's easier for the international community to accept flag football. Rather, it's, it's cheaper, by the way. First of all, it's just cheaper. <laughs> it's yeah. way easier to play it. Give no somebody pads. a flag, no pads. Go out there, take a flag, boom, use your athleticism. It's all good. You may fall in love with the game enough to go, let's try this tackle thing. Let's do it. Immerse the community in it long enough and they'll go, hell, tackle football is our next, that's the next evolution. That's the next phase for us. But start it out with the candy cigarettes before you start smoking the menthols. <laughs> so I, honestly, I like the strategy. I think it's a smart strategy by the NFL. It's two-pronged. And it reminds me a lot, you know, we do this in society where there are social accelerants. Certain aspects of society, you know, can, can bridge the gap. Certain social, sociological you know, movements, societal shifts, and you have these issues that were once considered taboo in America 
in American society that are now socially acceptable or more acceptable. And there are things that can desensitize our sentimentality. All right. To, and allow us to adjust our moral compass and the, adjust to the social mores as they begin to evolve and change. I'll give you an example. Legalize marijuana. Right. Forever. This country, we had this negative stigma about marijuana. In 1970, only 12 percent of Americans approved of legalized recreational marijuana. Just 12 percent. By 2021, we were at 91 percent of Americans approving. And you know what bridged the gap? You know what bridged the gap? Medicinal marijuana. We saw Americans suffering, people in pain, people who needed help. And medicinal marijuana provided that help. And it, it desensitized a lot of our a lot of us and destigmatized marijuana in this country. Because like, no, no, people would, people would help me. If it's used responsibly, hey man, we can enjoy it responsibly. And honestly, I'll, I'll say something else I think it happened with. It happened with legalized sports betting, happening right now. You know what bridged the gap between the stigma and reputation of legalized sports betting? Oh, it's mob stuff. Oh man. Yeah, you can destroy your family. Legalized sports betting. You know what t- changed it? The NCAA tournament, your grandma's filled out a bracket, fantasy sports, your mama and your daddy drafting. It's just gambling. <laughs> it, 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 it allowed us to slowly adjust our moral compass over time instead of shocking our system. And that's always tough. That type of change is really tough for society. I think gay marriage went through the same type of evolution in our society. Hell, 1997, you got 27% of Americans uh, approve of gay marriage, 60, damn near 70% of Americans disapprove of gay marriage. And then by right 2021, we're at 70, 70 plus percent that approve of gay marriage. Why? One of the theories out there, one of the working theories, no BS, is Hollywood. Hollywood brought the LGBTQ plus community right into your home. And you, you, most of y'all didn't even have an LGBTQ plus friend in y'all's lives. But, you know, I mean, whether you're talking about Ellen or hell, what, what is she, Will and Grace, Modern Family. Think about how many of those shows had a member of the LGBTQ plus community in that show. And you went, they're funny. They're cool. Man, that is really cool. I might want to have me a gay friend. That's kind of cool. It's actually kind of fun. You know, it's not bad. They destigmatized the whole thing for Americans. Like, oh, they're just like you and me. It happens with a lot of stuff. And I'm not saying that it always tracks, but... I think for the NFL, if they want to expand the sport, first you got to destigmatize it and, and, and really uplift the perception, change the narrative of it. And how you do that? Women, baby. Moms. Future of this country. Happy Mother's Day. The NFL trying to win you over. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk about John Morant. Speaking of moms, I bet John Morant's mom is very upset right now. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful not knowing. Okay, yeah, we did forget. Just reminded, guys, we talked about candy cigarettes. Can't forget about Big League Chew. That stuff was good, though. It was good, but it still uh, was trying to um, promote a culture it of, was. Of, of dipping. I thought, I thought it was to get us to try gum <laughs> instead of tobacco. 
No, I didn't think. I forgot all about the big league shoe. There you go. Yep. Um, and I buried a lead, too, also uh, in my last take about Roger around the day. Uh, the NFL is also pushing to make flag football an Olympic event. That's like their last coup de grace. They figure if they can do that, then doing that and getting a team overseas, that'll be the first big step. I'm, in fine trying to with, spread I'm fine with everything the, until the Olympic event. That, that's what they wanted. They, I know, but yeah. that, that's the one where when I have to when I have to interview a flag football player adult that's <laughs> taking it way too seriously, <laughs> that's when I, I just can't. You know what I mean? Can't do it. You can't no, do that it. Seems, that seems a little bit weirder when the guy's like, you know, I just I had to juke him out. <laughs> you take a hard right there. And then, you know, there's a little context. We stopped play. He went over and got his medical care. Uh, we got back in the game, though, and I just ran a lot. Are you saying it's going to be that the 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 ratio of D-bags in the flag football community is going to rise exponentially if it becomes an Olympic sport? I think I think if, if it becomes an Olympic sport, if you don't like flopping in basketball and soccer, get ready for flag football flopping. I feel like flag football flopping. Oh, you're right. Ooh. We'll be like... If someone yes. act, like, accidentally pushes you too hard, flying seven rows and be like, my sternum, well, my sternum. Well, the world's most popular sport, flopping, is an art form. It is. Well, that's, uh, that's right? what I'm saying. That's going to be the art form. Wow. Uh, it says the NFL and I, IFAF's focus now is to get flag football into the Olympic Games. Flag football is, it says, among nine sports that the uh, International Olympic Committee is considering for inclusion um, at the next Olympic Games in 2028. Or for for the 2028 game, sorry. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm, they said they're going to rule on it before the end of 2023. That seems. Uh, oh my! Katie says bubble tape was the snuff. <laughs> Big League Chew was the job. <laughs> Big League Chew was the job. Wow! Oh. See, there you go. Katie seems like the guy who would have had that figured out. KD was deep. You know, he, yeah, he had both. What right pocket, left pocket. Sometimes KD still goes to get some Big League Chew every oh, now yeah. and then. <laughs> Uh, shout out to my man, KD. You're a miss, brother. Yeah, Candy, Candy Sigs were good. I remember them. They're just a little, you know how to, you remember how, uh, Fun Dip? You know Fun Dip? Yeah. The little liquor sticks? Yeah. That's kind of what they were. They're just like little, little liquor sticks. They were fantastic. Yeah. I, I, why'd they stop making those? Well, They're kind of gross. Why? What's gross about it? Because you had to keep sticking the thing in there and licking it and sticking the thing in oh, there. The, oh, the, oh, Fun Dip is gross. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. It's, it's not very sanitary. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And then, like, you just see a kid and he sets it down. And you're like, well, once you set it down, it's over. And it, yeah. <laughs> that is true. You got to eat a Fun Dip at the time because, really, the packaging doesn't allow you to set it down. Yeah, because the, the stick's in there. Stick's in there, man. And once the stick, like, there's, you can't close it off. That's a great point. It does, yeah, why not? Why not? Why don't they have a way you can reseal the, the Fun Dip? Because I guess, kids, once you go all in, you're going you know, ham. Why would they want to not sell another thing of Fun Dip right after? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Hey, first one's free, Rod. I was trying to, eco- I was trying to, uh, like, basically economize my fun dip there. Apparently, <laughs> all right, uh, good stuff there. Right, we come back. I was, I was into Ja Morant, and we'll get to Ja Morant next segment. We'll do Ja Morant, and we'll talk some Cowboys. We'll just kind of uh, do a smorgasbord segment and get back on track here. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, one four nine the horn.